Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Gord Downey. Well, we have uh, what I like to call a cactus relationship. It doesn't require a lot of water or or TLC or anything. <laughs> and uh, we thrive in extremely dry environments. And that's, how I think, how we do it. We don't, I think, uh, you know, as you grow in the business and, and you have your bandmates and your family, perhaps your expectations of each other drop or you have fewer of them and I think that's the way to get through uh, and I think that's healthy I think that's normal I've only kind of come to this realization maybe in the last few days and it might sound a little bleak um, and I don't mean it to but I, I think yeah you and I, it works you know our expectations of each other are what they are this is our remembrance of Gord Downey part two this is the ongoing history of new music the podcast edition with Alan Cross. We were on Saturday Night Live, and my nephew was turning 11. He said, Uncle Gord, can you, can you give me a little signal? And I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put my two index fingers up in front of the, in me. Like, that's 11, because you're turning 11. And man, like, that's all I thought about. Like, I cannot forget that. I cannot forget that 11 thing. You've got to do that 11 thing. Dan Aykroyd's introducing us, and now, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, uh, tragically, and I'm thinking, just do this 11 thing, and I went, <laughs> we break into Grace 2, I said, and it's, uh, he said, I'm fabulously rich, is the line, I said, I, he said, I'm tragically hip, and it was like, because I just resonated with him, and my inner elevator went from the penthouse to the basement at breakneck speed, and I thought, I don't even know the next line, I don't even know what song I'm singing, went right into Grace 2, but, and then from then on, that's the line I always said. The Tragically Hip on Saturday Night Live with the first track from their 1994 album Day for Night and one of six singles from that record. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross and this is part two of our Remembrance of Gord Downey. We left off last time with the hip in their golden years, that glorious run of singles, albums, tours, festivals like Edgefest and their own Another Roadside Attraction and Eden Fest, along with appearances on radio, TV, in movies, plus things like Junos and Much Music Video Awards. Day for Night was followed by Trouble at the Hen House in 1996, which spun off five singles. The concert album, Live Between Us, was recorded that year at Cobo Hall in Detroit. 
And the band continued to evolve. Song structures became more complex. Gord started experimenting with different vocal styles and phrasing. And the longer the band stayed together, the more Canadian their music seemed to be, with more and more references to people and events and places. And this song is the epitome of all that. Gord used to say that it was all about a stressed-out city cop who loved going to the Kawartha Lakes region of Ontario on the weekends, cottage country, a mythical, idyllic place within the Canadian psyche. All very lovely and poetic. But the only reason the song is called Bob Cajun, and thereby setting it in Ontario cottage country, is because Gord couldn't think of another word that rhymed with constellations. That night in Toronto From the Phantom Power album of mid-1999, the Juno single of the year in 2000. There was little the hip didn't accomplish in their career. They were the first band to perform at the brand new Air Canada Centre in Toronto in February of 1999. They played the Woodstock 99 Festival. There was a command performance for the Queen, halftime at the Grey Cup. An induction onto Canada's Walk of Fame in 2002. Inducted into the Juno Hall of Fame in 2005. An honorary fellowship from the Royal Conservatory of Music in 2006 a Governor General's Performing Arts Award in 2008. In 2012, part of Barrack Street in Kingston was renamed Tragically Hip Way. Canada Post issued a Tragically Hip Stamp in 2013. And in 2016, the hip received honorary degrees from their alma mater, Queen's University in Kingston. Mr. Chancellor, Mr. Principal, Mr. Rector, distinguished faculty, ladies and gentlemen, and the graduates of the 2016 class of medicine. Um, on behalf of my partners in the Tragically Hip, I thank you for this great honor. Uh, we are native Kingstonians and formed our band in the shadows of this great institution while three of us were students here. Our Queens and Kingston roots do indeed run deep. 25 years ago, this July, we set up our gear on this very stage and wrote the bulk of our second album, Road Owls. Uh, this place shaped who and what we've become. We learned how to perform in front of students and locals alike in campus pubs and local dives like Elfie's and Lakeview Manor. Uh, we saw early on how music has the power to move people and bring them together, and we followed that course our entire career. And perhaps the biggest honor the Tragically Hip ever received was being appointed to the Order of Canada in 2017. Meanwhile, every single album they released sold hundreds of thousands of copies just in Canada. At least three sold more than a million, and whenever the band toured, they sold tickets by the hundreds of thousands. Amidst all this, the hip were very Canadian in the sense that they were pretty modest about all their accomplishments and good fortune. If you ever met any of them, they certainly didn't expect to be treated like stars. Quite the opposite, really. One of the things the hip did was to drag along their favorite bands with them, getting them to open shows. Bands like the Rio Statics, Crash Vegas, Eric's Trip, Spirit of the West, Ron Sexsmith, The Inbreds, Change of Heart, Ashley McIsaac. The sense was that the hip really, really wanted some of their mojo to rub off on some of their friends. The hip was also involved in social activism, tackling issues involving the environment, social justice, equality, racism, disaster relief for places like Haiti, feminist causes, decolonization and issues involving Canada's Indigenous people. 
Here's a song you may not have heard before because it's never been released. The track's called Montreal, and it's about the events of December 6, 1989, when Mark Lapine walked into L'Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal with a rifle and a hunting knife, shooting 27 people and killing 14 women. The hip didn't play it very often, but every once in a while, they'd bring it out on stage. The hip with Montreal, a song they never released but did perform live occasionally. Canada got a new hip album roughly once every two years between 1987 and 2006. After that, it was once every three years to 2012. And then there was a four-year break between Now for Plan A and the last record, Man Machine Poem. That's 13 studio albums, one live album, one compilation, one box set, two if you count the reissue of Fully Completely, and one EP, which is a pretty extensive body of work extending over three decades. Meanwhile, Gord remained a quiet, private guy who did not want to be the center of attention offstage. There's a story about when Gord lived across the street from a park in the east end of Toronto. It had a very good outdoor rink that Gord and his buddies would often use in the wintertime. To make sure that there were no distractions, Gord would dress in his goalie gear at home, including his mask, and then walk over to the park. Total anonymity. Gord loved it, playing there at the loneliest end of the rink. The hip was a great success, but creatively, this wasn't enough for Gord. He had things he wanted to do outside the band. And when we come back, a tour through Gord's solo career. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. This is part two of our remembrance of Gord Downey. The hip story has been told many, many times, including on this program. But Gord's solo career hasn't received as much attention. So let's let's try and fix that. We can divide things into two parts, the stuff Gord did on his own as a solo performer and the collaborations he did with other people. Let's start with the first solo record, which he called Coke Machine Glow. It came out in 2001. Now, compared to the hip, this was pretty quirky stuff. Even the band Gord put together for this record was unusual. First of all, he called them the goddamn band, and it included members of a Toronto group called Dinner is Ruined. Canadian film director Adam Agoyan showed up. There was Julie Dorian from Eric's Trip and John Finlayson from The Skydiggers. Coke Machine Glow has been compared to the work of Tom Waits. Lots of spoken word, lots of lo-fi recording, and music that's really, really hard to categorize in pigeonhole. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. This is nothing but heartache in your social life. When are you thinking of disappearing? When are you falling off the map? When the unknown that your fearing's in the clearing? When your world's gone flat? Estrangement from escape when you're packaged up, beautifully scripted, insulated with electrical tape. When the famous are getting airborne... Nothing But Heartache in Your Social Life from Gord Downey and a song co-written by Canadian film director Adam Agoyan. That record, Coke Machine Glow, made it to number 26 on the Canadian charts. Gord's next solo album came in another off year for the hip, 2003. He called it The Battle of the Nudes. The goddamn band was back although they were now being called Country of Miracles. The music on this record was, uh, I guess, less conceptual and heavier. And if you had to pick a fan favorite from this album, it's probably this one. It's called Pascal's Submarine. And, uh, oh, that's Gordon the Drums, by the way. If you can remain quiet and still, you might as 
Rascal's Submarine from Gord Downey's second album, 2003's Battle of the Nudes. Seven years would pass before Gord felt the need to record a third solo album. The Country of Miracles was back again for the Grand Bounce, and the producer was Chris Walla of Death Cab for Cutie. I had a chance to sit down with Gord to talk about this album. So, let's uh, start with The East Wind. After some distant studio chatter, the songs begin with one of the most astute meteorological observations I've ever heard in a song. An east wind is the laziest wind. It doesn't go around you, it goes through you. And that's absolutely true if you live in the Great Lakes, isn't it? Yeah, that's a biting, cold wind. Um, and that was told to me by a farmer, so you know it's true. Those guys understand such things. And uh, it's almost verbatim his words, not mine. Mm. It's one of those sort of situations where he said something, he saw my eyebrow go up and said, you can use that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I quickly proffered a contract, he signed and we're good. Um, but he, yeah, that's something he said and the rest of the song, it, well, should I take it in turn? Do you want to? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Is a collection of just that, found objects, uh, quotes from the late Al Purdy from um, Walter von Tilburg Clark who wrote The Oxbow Incident. So the second verse is uh, night is like a room. It makes the little things inside your head too important. That's Walter von Tilburg Clark who wrote The Oxbow Incident. That's uh, which great. was made into a film by like William Wellman 1940 something, right? 1943, Alan. Okay, see? Lost to which film for Best Picture Oscar? 1943? Okay, Casablanca was 42. Casablanca is correct. How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh! It's very... uh, Wow, okay. Very generous game show I run. (laughs) Let me just muse an idea. Yes, that's correct. The East Wind, from Gord Downey in the album The Grand Bounce. That album came out in the summer of 2010. There would be two more solo albums and a record with the Sadies in amongst a couple of hip records over the next seven years. And we can't forget all the collaborations, either on stage or on record. Dallas Green, Buck 65, Blue Rodeo, the Sadies, the Rio Statics, effed up. When Gord wasn't working on music, he became more involved in a variety of philanthropic work. For example, Gord was a board member of Lake Ontario Waterkeeper, a group devoted to protecting the lake and its watershed. And the older he got, the deeper he got into the affairs and concerns of Canada's indigenous people. This culminated with the establishment of the Cheney Wenjack Fund, a project dedicated to the support of reconciliation between the First Nations of Canada and the rest of us. If you haven't heard the story, Cheney Wenjack was caught up in the whole residential schools travesty. He was sent to Kenora, Ontario, but he ran away, and he tried to walk the 600 kilometers home, but he never made it, dying of exposure alongside a railway track. Mike Downey, Gord's brother, ran across the story in McLean's magazine and told Gord all about it, and that was the genesis of everything. This became Gord's secret path, the album, the film, and the graphic novel. Now, we have to approach the end of the story. We'll wait into the final portion of Gord's life in just a second. 
Now, back to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Sometime in December 2015, Gord was on the street in Kingston when the first seizure came on. Something was very wrong. A trip to the doctor resulted in the worst possible news. He had a form of brain cancer called glioblastoma. It usually forms in the cerebral hemispheres and is very, very aggressive. There is no known cause and no cure. Gord's case was known as primary glioblastoma. These tumors form fast and cause symptoms quickly from within the brain itself and not from another part of the body. Gord's cancer was first found in the left temporal lobe. The tumors are invasive and infiltrative, sending tendrils through the rest of the brain, making it impossible to remove it entirely by surgery. That means the tumors come back again and again and again. When someone is diagnosed with this type of cancer, an either-or choice has to be made. One course of treatment will help you live longer, but your quality of life won't be great. Maybe being able to form new memories, but not being able to speak. Or you can choose to have a shorter time left, but your quality of life will be better during that time. Gord went with option B. That would give him the best chance to accomplish everything he wanted to in the time he had. His surgeon was Douglas D.J. Cook at Kingston General Hospital. Dr. Cook went in and removed Gord's left temporal lobe. This is called a full temporal obectomy. He then went in deeper for the entire hippocampus and then for some tissue even further back. The best case scenario after all this was done, and this was early 2016, was four to five years without any further neurological decline. And at first, things looked okay for Gord. Analysis of the removed tissue showed that Gord's glioblastoma should respond well to treatment. After the surgery came 30 rounds of radiation treatment, twice a day, five days a week, for six weeks. He would go in for treatment with his brother Pat, who would play music for Gord. The Bee Gees were a favorite, one of Gord's guilty pleasures. The radiation was augmented by an oral chemotherapy drug called tolozolamide. This seemed to work. But the damage from the cancer and the surgery had been done. Memory loss set in. He couldn't even remember the names of his children. Gord took to writing reminders on his hands. He couldn't form any sentences. There was lots of confusion. Meanwhile, fans knew none of this. All we heard was that a new album had been completed and was set for release in 2016 to be followed by, presumably, as always, a cross-Canada tour. But the reality was that no one knew if Gord was going to be able to do much of anything, let alone tour. There was a lot of swelling from the surgery. Finding words for him was very, very hard. Impossible, even. Funny, though, even as Gord was going through the chemo and the radiation, he kept going back to the upcoming album, even though he did not look good, did not feel good, and didn't seem capable of doing much of anything physical. But he kept saying, we're going to tour, right? Gord's will had to have been incredible, because he recovered enough through the spring of 2016 to insist that the hip get back together and start rehearsing. This was early May 2016. Even though he couldn't remember the names of any hip albums or any hip song or any hip lyrics. But he powered through, basically rebooting his brain. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Aided by written notes and lyrics on a screen. Over and over and over again. 90 songs for the upcoming tour. Maybe because musical memories are stored in a special separate part of the brain, Gord was able to claw his way over the darkness where these words used to be. Still, there was no guarantee that Gord was going to be well enough to tour. 
but the rest of the band, his family, and the hip organization indulged him. Basically, it was, look, if working towards a tour helps him, then let's use that, at the very least as therapy, to keep him engaged and happy. No one, except maybe Gord, was betting that the tour was going to happen. The last thing anyone wanted to see was Gord have a health emergency on stage, a seizure, a stroke, some kind of incapacitating event, even if it meant him just getting hopelessly lost in a song, while, of course, everybody in the audience had their cell phones out. No one wanted that. But Gord remained determined to do it. Rehearsals continued. Repetition continued. Gord's recovery continued. Meanwhile, the public needed to be told the truth. On May 24, 2016, there was a press conference at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. This is Dr. James Perry. Good morning. Uh, my name is James Perry, and I'm the head of the Division of Neurology here at Sunnybrook Hospital. I want to thank you for your attention and your concern in light of the difficult news that uh, you all received this morning. And it's my difficult duty today to tell you that Gord Downey's brain tumor is incurable. This news hit Canada like a bomb lead story everywhere. But we didn't have that much time to absorb everything because one day later, the hip announced the Man Machine Poem Tour. Now, from our perspective, the news was dire, but hey, it couldn't be that bad yet, right? I mean, the hip were going on tour again. Things gotta be okay, at least for now. Tickets went on sale June 3rd and sold out across the country in minutes. Everything was set to start in Victoria on July the 22nd. This ushered in a period of denial for us. Intellectually, we all knew that Gord was living on borrowed time. Emotionally, though, I don't think we were processing it. There were tributes and cancer fundraisers, expressions of thanks, all from great places. But somehow the reality wasn't really real, you know? But up until the tour actually began, no one within the hip organization knew if Gord would make it through to the first show, let alone the entire tour. The hip had never, ever rehearsed for a tour, but this time they had to. Gord knew he had to, and he worked hard. He was confident. He wanted to take everyone's mind off things. Everyone else? Not so much. A separate EMS team was hired just for Gord to go on tour. Dr. Cook, Gord's surgeon, was in the wings. The big concern were seizures caused by dehydration and sleep deprivation. But Gord surprised everyone. Not only did he make it through all the scheduled shows unscathed, new shows were added to accommodate demand. But if you went to any of those shows, you'll have noticed that his movements on stage were much more subdued. He was not working at full power physically. The mad, wild, jerky movements where Gort seemed to be in a trance were absent. Teleprompters were available on stage to help him with the lyrics. But the power of his personality was working at 100%, and that compensated for what his body would not let him do. And whenever he might have needed some extra help, there were thousands of people in the audience right there with him, ready to sing the lyrics back to him. That tour galvanized a nation, bringing us closer together than just about any other event I can think of in my lifetime. Gord's situation launched a million cancer treatment fundraisers, many by people who had never, ever done any kind of charitable work in the past. I mean, the sense of community on a national scale was, was, was breathtaking. That final show in Kingston, shown commercial-free on the CBC on Saturday, August the 20th, officially attracted about 12 million viewers. But I think that number is way too low. 
because it did not account for all the people watching together. House parties, bars and restaurants, other public places where screens had been set up. I think the number is more like 20 million, and there's only 36 million of us. When the tour ended, we were again lulled into denial. Didn't Gore do well, we said. He sure did. I guess we'll have him around for a while yet. Then came the unveiling of the Secret Path album, and film, and graphic novel. Again, we thought, hey, Gord must be doing okay. Gord Downey and Son from Secret Path, which was released on October 18th, 2016, 364 days before Gord would finally pass away. After a couple of shows for Secret Path in Toronto, Ottawa, and Halifax, Gord remained largely out of sight. His home in the beaches area of Toronto had been sold, and he spent most of his time in Kingston. He did appear at a gathering of the Assembly of First Nations in Gatineau, Quebec, in early December 2016, where he was presented with an eagle feather and given a Lakota spirit name, Wakapi Omani, the man who walks among the stars. On February 2nd, 2017, Gord was in the audience when Blue Rodeo played Massey Hall in Toronto, and for the very last song of the night, Gord and the opening act The Sadies were brought on stage to sing Lost Together with Blue Rodeo. And that would be the last time Gord ever sang in public. In June 2017, Gord appeared in Ottawa for investment into the Order of Canada. Not for music, though, because the hip already had an order for that, but for his leadership with indigenous issues. And on July 2nd, Gord appeared in Ottawa with Pearl and Daisy Wenjack for We Day, where he gave a powerful address for the need for reconciliation. Now we begin in a new 150 years. We leave behind the first 150 years, the ones with one big problem trying to wipe out our indigenous people to take their minds and hearts, to give them the choice, become white or get lost. No was the answer, but res residential schools were built, funded by our churches and by our governments. All indigenous children were commanded to attend residential school. You will learn about true history in these schools. Now, the pain the torture, and the death. Again, that was July 2nd, 2017. And hey, Gord sounded pretty good, right? But that would be one of Gord's final public appearances, maybe the actual final one. While fans waited for a long time running, the documentary of that final hit tour to premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, very little was heard from Gord through August and then September of 2016. And then on September 28th, a surprise. There would be a new solo album entitled Introduce Yourself on October the 27th. Surely this meant that the chemo and the radiation and all the other treatments were working. Gord's well enough to make a double album. But digging a little deeper revealed that the sessions for the album had wrapped up in February. But still, how bad could things be, right? Yet there were rumors of declining health through the summer and the fall of 2017. No one would confirm anything, of course. There was a story that Gord and his brother Mike planned to build a log cabin next door to Cheney Wenjack's family, a place where, when he got really, really sick, Gord would live out his final days. There was absolute radio silence. 
until the morning of October 18, 2017, when we heard that Gord had died the previous night, surrounded by family, friends, and bandmates. He was 53. Gord left behind four children, his brothers Mike and Pat, his former partner Laura Lee Usher, and his four bandmates. The whole country plunged into mourning. The best tweet I saw was, Canada closed, death in the family. The Prime Minister appeared on TV in tears. Flags were lowered, lights were dimmed, moments of silence were held. There were tributes and gatherings and wakes and more fundraisers for cancer treatment and Indigenous causes. Meanwhile, there was a very, very private memorial for family and friends on October the 20th. And amongst all this, a final solo album, 23 songs, each dedicated to a specific person. I want to end by playing a song that comes up midway through the record. It's directed at his brother Pat, a fellow Boston Bruin fan. Knowing that Gord was brought into this world with Bruins coach and GM Harry Sinden as his godfather, and that he was a lifelong hockey fan and player, I just think it's kind of nice to go out on a note like this. The Bruins kept us tight We talked about them nearly every day For over 40 years now Back in a moment. More of the ongoing history of new music. The podcast edition with Alan Cross. Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip are irreplaceable. Their loss leaves a big hole, not just in Canadian music, but in the entire psyche of Canada. They will not be forgotten. Gord's name will be associated with reconciliation efforts for a long, long time. If his work can be kept going, and there's no reason it shouldn't, that would please him very, very much. Here's hoping that the momentum he created will only increase. Here's but a small example. The Polaris Prince, a cruise ship that plies the Canadian North, has an area called the Gord Downey Cheney Wenjack Room. This is reserved for holding tough and sensitive conversations on the issues of reconciliation. I've got a feeling that we'll see more gestures like this going forward. And what of the rest of the hip? Well, beyond being a band, it's also a business, and a business made up of four other musicians. The hip's legacy will need to be managed. Rob Baker and Gord Sinclair have already been working on musical projects with other artists. Drummer Johnny Fay is busy with some country projects. Paul Langlois produced a record for Greg Ball, a country rock guy from Kingston. And two sons of hip members are in a band called Casador. Their dads are involved as advisors. It's a pretty fair band, too. So let's see what they can do. Let's close with this. And it's the same quote I used for a program on the hip after we heard that Gord had passed. It's from Dr. Seuss, of all people. And it's just so appropriate. It goes like this. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Yo, Gord. Hey, man. Thanks. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play. 